Guitarded was very, very much affected by the fact that we had had a bunch of tours under our belt. And I think a lot of the songs, tempo-wise, were kind of the tempos we saw how crowds would react the most. Like certain tempos and certain songs, you know how like a whole crowd will start jumping all in unison? I remember seeing that. And I think Less Than Jake and, and uh, No Use really kind of taught us or taught me a lesson uh, on that stuff, you know. Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. We talk about our favorite records. Talking Records Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Thank you all for listening. You showed up to the right place. Jen and his friends dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band. Then give you a track by track breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Jed, and you're listening to Talking Records, a podcast that focuses on one album and tries to present a full picture of how it was made the stories behind it, and why we love them so much. As huge music fans, we like to learn as much as we can about these albums, as that knowledge tends to increase our understanding and enjoyment of the album. Today, we're looking at the album Guitarded by the band Limp. I am absolutely thrilled to be joined in just a moment by Phil and Johnny from the band. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you to follow the Talking Records podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We post frequently and would love for you to join the chatter on favorite records and songs. We also have a website, TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by purchasing a t-shirt from our website. It's a win-win situation for everyone. You get a fancy new Talking Records t-shirt, and we get a little help updating our gear and maintaining our website. Plus, everyone around you gets to see you in a spiffy new shirt. You can also support us by spreading the word about our podcast. Do you know anyone who'd be interested in album details and stories? What about that person at work you've been meaning to strike up a conversation with? You can also review us where you listen to podcasts. All these things would be a tremendous help to us. Guitarda was released on Honest Dons, a subsidiary of Fat Records, on February 23, 1999. As I mentioned on a previous episode on Limp's Pop and Disorderly, I'd gotten into Limp when a friend threw that album on in the car during a ride out to a show. The whole album was loaded with powerful pop-oriented punk rock. The songs instantly stuck with me. It was upbeat and fun, and I was instantly a fan. In the summer of 99, a buddy handed me a compilation CD with the grossest album cover. It was a cartoon clown taking a shit into a bowl of cereal. But I quickly realized it was a new comp by Limp's label Honest Dons. It had not one, but two new Limp songs on it. I loved both tracks and then snatched up the Fine Girl EP that winter. With all this new music, my anticipation for the band's next album was high. I ordered Guitarded as soon as it came out in February and immediately loved it. It was punchy and melodic. The songs were relatable, and I just always found that no matter what my mood was, I was always in the mood for this band. I never got tired of these great songs, and I just wore that album down. I was obsessed with the ska-infused Passed Out and the pop-punk gem Lost and Found. Why these songs weren't massive in 1999 is beyond me.
I am pleased to be joined today by Phil and Johnny from the band Limp. How's it going, guys? Very well. Thank you, Jed. Hi, it's going well. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast. I'm super thrilled that I was able to catch you guys. I guess you've been hanging out this week? Yeah. <laughs> Off and on, we're hanging out. It's kind of fun. We haven't, haven't really hung out in years and years and years. <laughs> 15 years. Yep. Oddly enough, how, yep. how, how much you know time flies, how fast time flies. Yeah, so we're in Truckee. Bill lives here, and uh, I'm hanging out. We've got the gear set up in the living room. Yeah, attempting to recreate the magic. <laughs> We've begun to rock. <laughs> that is excellent news. And I heard, Johnny, that uh, Phil's putting you to work a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I like what you said, Jed. Was it bring your drummer to work day? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I used to work for Phil back in the old day, too. Oh, really? Well, he, yeah, yeah. That's another part of this whole experience is trying to just kind of figure out where we were. Oh, wow. Where were we living? We moved around so much. We did so much. Uh, we were doing so much. We were trying to do so much more than we probably could have. And man, <laughs> so we've been racking our brain a little. And I think if everybody that cycled through the band, for the exception of Surge, ended up on some kind of job site with me <laughs> at some point. We can have band practice, but you got to come to work with me first. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, you know, we actually used to practice a lot. because Well, Johnny and I used to live together for about a year and a half or so. So we got a lot of practice time in and stuff like that. But yeah, man, it's 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 been fun kind of catching up, seeing where we are now and and uh, setting up all the old gear. It was in kind of in storage at different places where I lived. It all got pulled out and it was almost like a time capsule, literally like 20 year time capsule, which is super bizarre. Yeah. And all of it, all of it worked except for, you know, a couple of tubes needed to be changed here and there. And, wow. but it's been, it's been kind of a blast to like dust everything off. That's amazing. So yeah, you know, dust off the, uh, the gear and uh, take it for a spin. And when you guys uh, first clicked in, how did it go? Did you sound oh. like you'd never missed a day or was it like oh, crash and burn? It sounded like I'd never played an instrument in my life. It was awful. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. That's awesome. <laughs> Johnny was fine, though. It, it wasn't very good. He's been keeping his chops up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I want to take you all the way back to 1999 when you recorded the album Guitarded. All right. In talking with you, I, I'm hoping that you can clear this up. You did the Fine Girl EP, which came out a couple months before Guitarded and features two songs from Guitarded. Did you record Guitarded first and then Fine Girl or Fine Girl and then Guitarded? <laughs> we had recorded Guitarded, okay? And then, so actually this is a little off jet. I can't remember part of this, but we, we had well, all the songs that, that are on Fine Girl. Yeah. Those are mixed by Kevin Army, recorded by ryan green okay so at the same time kevin army mixed the fine girl ep which ryan green had engineered and, and produced kevin recorded that or kevin mixed that and then he recorded x99 which was the 32nd song for fat mike's short music for short people oh, or, you right. know, or whatever it was we mixed with kevin and we recorded x99 and then what was even more weird was that we somehow we have new reason on there the stuff we recorded with doug it had kind of a, a darker uh flavor to it actually that i actually really liked yeah. so that's why kind of the the fine girl ep and and guitar did kind of sound you know somewhat similar as far as guitar tones go 
as far as, uh, you know, remembering when uh, these things were done, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. What's so hard to figure out is how we got New Reason recorded, which was at Razor's Edge. And then at the same time, how we had Guitarded already recorded, which is at Prairie Sun. So well, just the drums at Prairie Sun, right? Right. So what had happened, what had to happen was that, you know, they, they lost the lease on the building for Razor's Edge. So then they were going to go open motor studios hmm. now in, in that downtime we were recording guitarded that's why we went to prairie sun because the rest of it was done at motor in san francisco but it wasn't ready in time to do our drums so then what it seems like is we were going to do the fine girl thing and we were going to do guitarded and so we did the last thing at razor's edge which was new reason and then we went to prairie sun and katati and then we did all the drums for Guitarded there in a week. And then after that was done, I think we took some time off. And then these guys all went to the new motor in San Francisco and they got to work. And, and you know, they spent a good deal of time on it. And at the time, we were all working a lot and stuff like that. So, you know, I was just back away at work. So after I was done with the drums and Katati, then we came home and we took some time off and then. You know, I was probably even working for Phil or something like that and going still <laughs> yeah. to that job site. And then Phil was going to work on Guitarded. We always kind of did the albums like that where so 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 we're having to jog the memory a little bit. But that's how I think we got those songs kind of jumbled up like that. And yeah. that's All right. And so that's how and Kevin and Ryan could not mix it because he had something going on. Fueled by Ramen needed it at this date. Everyone thought it was a good opportunity for us. So we did it. And that's how we got Kevin Army to do it. And he did a great job. I think we might have. Uh, either played shows or done a small little tour or something that was in the middle of this, which might have been one of the reasons why it took longer to do. I think so. I think that's for sure the case that, that we were just going and going and going. Yeah, so keeping track of all these different songs and where they're going must have been like, <laughs> did you have to like write it out on graph paper or something? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hardcore calculus when you think about it because at that time, I bet you 100 bucks we were writing stuff down even less than we would now at our oh, yeah, definitely. practical ages. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how did the EP come about? How did you hook up with Vinny and Fueled by Ramen? We were booked by Leave Home Booking. With, with, that was our booking agency and they had like they booked every, you know i mean you know quote unquote everyone we got offered a tour with less than jake we just loved it it was great they liked us they have like the coolest bands like they just i don't know we had never sold so many t-shirts and we had never had such a morale booster of a tour i mean it was a great tour we you know we had had other great tours but this was just like wow you know kind of neat and we did two tours of them right or something one like after them. though one after Fine Girl. Oh, and then okay. one. So after Fine Girl was when we did the Bouncing Soul. So when they planned that tour, that was like an epic tour. They would get like somebody new every couple weeks to kind of add to the tour. So it started out with Limp opening up, Good Riddance playing second, all third, and Less Than Jake, uh, you know, headlining. Wow. <laughs> Vinny and John Janik started Fueled by Ramen, and they said that they wanted to put out an EP. So we, we got to working and putting that together and, you know, we, we did it. And so you go to Fat Mike and you say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this other thing over with this other label. How is he about? He was about... always cool with that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. He looked at it as publicity, I think, or, or just like, you know, just mutual. Um, yeah. Know, he never had problems with that. He wasn't territorial. It was kind of, you know, and also uh, there were a lot of different 
labels in the scene and and there were a lot of crossovers there were a lot of tours with these different so it was very friendly at least from what what i recall you know yeah so i gotta ask working with kevin army on the fine girl ep did you nag him for any uh op ivy stories (laughs) he just kind of naturally told just whatever story came up op ivy came up (laughs) green day came up nice you know like everyone came up he's just very pleasant and cool and and like you know I don't want to label him a nice guy, but man, he's just a really nice guy. It's just super <laughs> cool. Forbid. And he'll just tell you just story after story. Very mellow. He really did like a solid mix on that Fine Girl EP. And he, you know, he mixed New Reason in really good too, so that, you know, it all sounded um, consistent. Yeah, you wouldn't know that it was separate, recorded separately. So, so yeah. little uh, little side note, Johnny's old band, they used, they played shows with uh, Op Ivy. I know you played at least one show, right? Well, I played several. You played several shows, yeah. They, I, mean, I think I heard him say, or like the last show at Gilman or something that Off Ivy ever played or something like that. Yeah, he had his old band Surrogate Brains, mm-hmm. which were which was on Lookout, right? Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I just talked to Jesse pretty recently. He lives in L.A. too, and uh, I was asking if he wanted to play, but uh... <laughs> no, he, he just said, you know, yeah, maybe I'll, you know, I'll sing a couple. But he's got his own band, and I was like, well, hey, you know, I'll play with you. So anyway, we're talking, but his shoulder was a little bit messed up. So I think that was the main kind of delay. And, uh, you know, he came over and we, we hung out and everything like that. So he's cool. He still plays and he's got great songs. I think yeah, his band is called the, uh, the classics of love. Yeah. So yeah, I like common rider classics of love are great. He's got a lot of great, great music out there. Yeah. And, and so that's what I was saying. You live in LA. I live in LA. Neither one of us are doing anything. Let's, <laughs> let's play. That's that's a leftover song from the uh, Pop and Disorder. So that's the one thing ah, okay. that's left over from Pop and Disorder. That's Exit, and that's Doug singing backups, but Billy playing guitar. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I see that Billy gets a credit on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, this is sure. a weird crossroads. This whole era here, this fine girl to guitarded, is like <laughs> there's like a <laughs> bunch of stuff going on, you know. Very cool. So, so Exit is a leftover track. What about Dork? Where does Dork come from? Dork was the first limp hit ever. Well, <laughs> actually, it was the first song that we ever did that made us sound like an actual band. And I remember we were super stoked on it also. But looking back, it was kind of juvenile, right? So I, that's why I didn't leave the lyrics on that thing. I'm like, you know, let's let them figure them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a fun one to play. Let me add something to that. So Dork predates Pop and Disorderly. Yeah, I think it was the first song we ever recorded on a demo. Yep. So Dork is way back there, Jed. Wow. So what happened was, is when we started doing Guitarded, you know, I think, I mean... I'm pretty sure it was me. And I was saying, we should try to do Dork again, you know, because mm. it's a kind yeah. of a cool tune. And we did the music for it. And then I think what happened was we we're like, we're, let's not finish this right now. This is, <laughs> this is dorky. You know, like, it was like we had like gone past it or something. So yeah, that's we, why, we all we're beyond that. this. Yeah, but that's why it's got us kind of a slick recording because we did it at the Guitarted Sessions right. with, with Ryan. 
Ah, all right. And Prairie Sun. And he was, you know, yeah. He was he was really putting up a lot of mics on that one, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I love the CP, and I, I figured, you know, the story of Guitarded, I feel like, kind of begins with Fine Girls. So before we get into Guitarded proper, I got to ask, because I saw this somewhere, were you guys approached by MCA at all during this time? Yeah. You were, all uh, right. During this time, I think it was, no, it was after Guitarded. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and after what Guitarded. it was, was, was Blink, actually. Uh, Blink liked us, Blink-22. We played some shows with them, and they were going to start a label or have a subsidiary of MCA, and so they mm. actually wanted to sign us. So I remember it was a Texas show. I think it was in Houston or something at Fitzgerald's, right? And there's like two two spots. There. The MCA, the, the vice president of MCA flew out there. He took us to dinner, which was weird because, you know, that I <laughs> that never happened to me before. And also, I'm not – at the time, I wasn't big on eating before a show. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I'm like – Yeah, uh, yeah. I get you. So, <laughs> so uh, but I remember he took us there, you know, and then, and then we had the show. And, and the, what I remember about it was – it was downstairs, and it was pretty packed. It was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show. It was pretty packed, and it was in the smaller venue under Fitzgerald. Under Fitzgerald. Yeah. And up top, at the same time, it was the... Uh, 10,000 Maniacs? It was the 10,000 Maniacs, minus, <laughs> minus the chick singer, which I forget her name. Natalie Merchant. Natalie Merchant. And so we called them the 9,999 <laughs> Maniacs from upstairs. You know, unfortunately, not to, you know, throw shade. There weren't that many people in, in the big room upstairs. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had more. Oh, no, we for sure did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's totally goofy. But, oh, check this out. So, yeah, MCA did. So, apparently, the vice president, whatever, uh, liked us or something. And everybody there, this is what we were told. So, this is probably bullshit. (laughs) So, uh, we were told that everybody liked us except for the president. He just didn't get it. (laughs) That's what I'd say if I was the A&R guy who just got denied by my boss. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we all loved you. It's just, uh, you know, president can get. But, yeah, that was that. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. It's my decision. Can't take it away. I'll have it my way. I'll make my own mistakes. Why don't you listen? Your mind is your voice. Your heart is your choice. It's pretty hard to ignore. Going into Guitar, did you picked up Doug Sangalang from Screw32 on guitar. How did you get Doug on board? Doug came. He was with us before Pop and Disorderly basically got, or just got released, I think. Yeah, I, right. I think Pop and Disorderly might have been just released, and Billy didn't want to go on tour. Right. And so he, so um, I, I think I, you know, we said me and Phil live together, so we're listening to Screw Thirty Two uh, under the influence of bad people. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, it's just album. like a, it's an awesome record, right? You know, fuck, we're listening to that all the time, and the drums are like epic. Anyway, we just like the album a lot, and. So we just listened to it and we said, dude, we should ask. 232 had just broken up, which would be oh. the only reason we would ask uh, if agent. Doug was interested. Yeah, well, yeah. at least we assumed he was. So we <laughs> said, hey, I said, I think me and Phil both went over there and we were like, hey, Mike, you know, do you think we should ask Doug and whatever? And so then we just asked him. Doug and I have history and I actually have a history with Andrew and actually most of the Scoot 32 guys way, way, way before anyone was ever in music. So I've known Andrew since I was 17. I spent my 18th birthday at my first day of junior college with him, sitting in the uh. quad, chain-smoking cigarettes and drawing pictures. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I still have one of the pictures. So I've known him forever, right? And and then eventually when, when Limp formed and we started like trying to get some shows, Andrew, Scootery uh, 2, they were fucking doing really good in the Bay. And, and it was fun, you know, watching. I used to go to all those shows and, 
So Andrew hooked us up. Us, yeah, Andrew hooked us up with our very first show uh, at Gilman with uh, AFI, opening for AFI. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> Scooter 2 and AFI used to play together a lot. And so they kind of were like, they were like kind of like the big dog local bands, you know, kind of thing. Mm. And, and that was a good time. But yeah, and then check this out. So that's, that's the ties with Andrew. And then Doug, uh, when I was like 18, 19, or maybe 19 or 20, I took this class with my friend is intermediate electric guitar class and and um <laughs> and that was way above my head i should have been a beginner in class but uh <laughs> but so we got paired off in mock bands in like you know three guitar players each made a, no mock, a fake band and i ended up in a band with doug sanglang i think it was like kind of a rocker back then something like that you know he, but he was super into music and guitar and stuff like that and yeah that was my first that's when i first met doug actually holy shit <laughs> yeah that's amazing <laughs> But Doug was on a part of the band, like right, right as Pop and Disorder is getting released. So he did all of the touring on that record, and then obviously was there and did all the touring for for uh, Guitarded, or the oh, most right. of it, I think. He was there for two records, you know, to his credit, you know. And it was awesome that he was able to do it. You know, like I kind of said earlier, we we were just really we were pretty busy at at that time, so it was really hard to even practice. We we would get these tours and we would go out on the road. And so we'd be pretty practiced. So then we would try to work on new stuff every now and then. And, mm -hmm. you know, it is, it, it is kind of a cliche thing, but it is harder to do the second record. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess in most cases. <laughs> yeah. That's the old you saying, know. you have your whole life to write your first one and then like. Yep. <laughs> right. Four days to write the second one. And you know, and another little thing, <laughs> here's another thing too. When we got, when we acquired Doug, <laughs> we also ended up with uh, Screw32's like, van oh nice their, to their touring van uh he came with a van it, well yeah which was nice for mike because he's all cool i'll just take the debt on this one van and i'll place it onto <laughs> the other van <laughs> so so that worked out for him but um but uh yeah we used their van and and which also doesn't quite lend and this is probably a shitty excuse but it doesn't quite lend to like writing songs in a cramped van with like five to six dudes and you know yeah um, yeah where are you gonna hold the acoustic guitar so you know it's like really <laughs> cramped so it yeah. wasn't super conducive to writing on 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 the road. Yeah, it, everything was very compartmentalized. But I do remember this: Guitarded was very very much affected by the fact that we had had a bunch of tours under our belt, and I think a lot of the songs, tempo wise, were kind of the tempos we saw how crowds would react the most. Like certain tempos and certain songs, you know how like a whole crowd will start jumping all in unison. Yeah. I remember seeing that, and I think less than Jake and and uh, No Use really kind of taught us or taught me a lesson uh, on that stuff, you know. That's a good point. Like you said, all, all these other uh, influences. There's tons of influences if you know that scene that we're you know, kind of uh, paying homage to on this record. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, you must like on stage, you must feel it when you're like locked in at a good tempo and things are moving. So that's actually a really cool uh, thing to pick up from the road. Yep. Yeah, especially when you're uh, supporting a band and it's technically not really, not really your crowd, you know, mm -hmm. and, and when they respond, when they all start, you know, kind of responding the same way or jumping in unison. And that was always a sign of like, oh, nice, this one works. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Song's a keeper. That's a cool way to put it. And and that's kind of, 
especially true with like the less than Jake people. Yeah, they were they were like really 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 ready to like you, if, you know. And if you put yeah, they were thing, great crowds. Yeah, so so it was so, a no use crowd. Yeah, I, every uh, most tours we ever did, you know, the, the hardest tour we ever did was our, our you know like a headlining tour. You know, because it's iffy in little spots in Tennessee, you know, mm, for yeah. limp. But you still got kids here and there. You still got to make it through there. You know, <laughs> we always got really lucky because of Stormy and Leave Home and Tara and Joel. We just always got great tours. And so we always got great audiences. That's kind of the point. Yeah, they put you in the right places. Yeah. Any shows we ever played, I always used to see all kinds of no you shirts there. And I, and I knew that. Those those kids probably saw us at a no use show. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the most. I saw more no use shirts at, at shows that we were playing. <laughs> I saw like, you guys cool. at a no use show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, I knew who you were before that. That's cool, man. Well, That's you amazing. <laughs> All right, so you're in the van. You're writing songs. You're looking for little uh, hideaway places to to write some songs. You've got uh, the songs for Guitarded. You're heading into Motor Studios. Uh, John, you mentioned you did drums at Prairie Sun. So why Prairie Sun? Did they just have a good room there? Yeah, they had a good room there, and Ryan wanted to try it. And like I said, the, the whole studio wasn't finished at the new motor yet. So yeah. we couldn't actually do drums there. So, yeah, he made this cool plan to go to Prairie Sun in Katadi, and they had a, an apartment there. We stayed there, and they had a great, great live room. They had a great board. They had great gear. They had great mics. And so we set up there, and then uh, Noah from Christ on Parade and Neurosis, he was the second engineer there. So he had been the first engineer, you know, if we didn't have an engineer. He was working there. And, mm-hmm. and like, my, you know, my old band used to play with Christ on Parade, so, and Doug knew him. So we knew him right away, and we got the drums set up, and Ryan, you know, really used all these great mics. What else happened? Okay, yeah, so I was telling Phil I was going to tell the story because I broke my bass drum pedal in the studio like the second day and and katari we were like in the middle of nowhere it was a bummer so we they had one music store we had to go there and they just had like this kind of crap pedal right and i had to get it mm-hmm. so i remember getting it and uh you know i was just like a little baby about it all and it took, <laughs> it took me a little time to get used this is to what it. i like yeah and uh what's the song called i think it's called um Bag lunch, life mm-hmm. is not that easy. What's what's that part, Phil? Yeah, life is that, is is that bag easy. lunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember Ryan. So you were talking about Ryan working on parks with me and stuff, and he was like, "We need something in that bridge, man. You got to pull something out, Johnny. You know." And and, uh, <laughs> and so, so you know, I think it's uh, the lyric is "Life is not that easy," and so it kind of goes to this kind of you know we're trying to be epic or whatever, right? And so he goes, "Okay, try to do it," you know. And so we come up with this kind of pattern. And it's like, do, 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 do. you know, it's like a drum pattern. And it's kind of a little cheesy yeah. now that now that I listen to it. But <laughs> there's a little example. But Ryan always had ways of, of just getting me to play like a little bit cleaner and listen uh, really well for the next take to see what you can do better. Keep your hands warm and just like keep the energy up. And, he, and you know, he had a lot of stuff to say. And sometimes he'd say it without saying it, you know, eh, it's, it was OK. How'd you like yeah. that, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, so, you know, he. He pushed me, and it was super cool. But like I said, it was a little bit. I think it would have been a little bit more epic drum wise had we got to do it at the new motor or at uh, the drums, or at the yeah. old Razor's Edge. Because like I said, I had that weird experience with my pedal breaking, like the first day into it. I had to get kind of get used to it. It was hard. It was. Just, yeah, I know it's, it's hard kind of to record weird. when you're uncomfortable. You know. Yeah, we, I mean, that was like my bait. That pedal was like you know, 
that's like <laughs> that's like the first record you know we like everything kind of you know the second record was like that's an that's an analogy for the second record was that pedal yeah you know like little inconveniences that could have uh you know like had we had some just a little bit more roots at the time and a great practice room because i think we're maybe even doing like an hourly practice room just just right around that time yeah so because we moved out of our place you know we, we had a place where we had a practice room but anyway then we all kind of moved over towards san francisco and, and oakland so by the time the drums were done at, at prairie sun i do remember helping ryan do a few things at motor i think i helped him put up ceiling tiles oh all right. <laughs> yeah like acoustic <laughs> ceiling tiles and then i remember helping uh or building a bass trap for him mm-hmm. which i had never even heard of or knew what it was but for for drums and whatnot but uh yeah i remember that did he knock a little off the bill for, uh, for doing yeah that? right nice uh no not really no <laughs> uh, well no you know i mean I, i'm sure i got fairly compensated i just don't remember any of that but yeah there was yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no knocking off any kind of honest don's bills let's put it that way <laughs> but, uh, yeah <laughs> i think we still, owe it. we still owe it we still <laughs> owe money <laughs> <laughs> So you're working with Ryan again. He had produced your first album. So now that you've got him for a second album, what was that experience like? Did you feel a little bit more relaxed? Was he a little bit more vocal since he knew you guys a little bit better now? Oh, at this point, we were friends. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'd house sit his, his place and feed his dog or cat or what do you, I think he had a cat one time that was super vicious. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, at this point, we were friends. So yeah, no, it, it's, of course you're going to do a record with ryan it's not like should we get ryan again it was more like do you think ryan will do it to our record again yeah 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 Yeah. well and luckily it was it was almost like a given so yeah it was comfortable we did drums first yeah and right you know we'd have breakfast every day and then we'd probably go have dinner at night we like i said we stayed there in katati at the apartment we got to know each other even more it was super cool so another thing i remember about ryan was um was uh this was the first i don't know our record couldn't have been the first one but pro tools was a thing now so after razor's edge shut down no i think you're onto something i think this might be the first we, you know, that I, I did with all pro tools right might have been i'm not sure i just know that he was still working bugs out of the system trying to figure out you know exactly uh yeah. and razor's edge was taped razor's edge was taped and so mm-hmm. it was a whole new animal but i think that what happened was we went to prairie sun to do the drums and he did that on tape and then dropped it into pro so i think that was like the kind of like the heavy process that he was going through at the time and so that you know something like that happened i think that's what was going on right? all i could say is i think i missed tape yeah. i know <laughs> you know I, I gotta tell you because not too long ago actually i was listening to probably my favorite records from that time that ryan did and uh, and actually i think it was because of an inter- several interviews that you did jed you were talking to some people and they were talking about razor's edge and then I realized them all, you know what? All my favorite records from back then were recorded at Razor's Edge. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, nice. our, our favorite one is uh, Papa Gandhi, Let's Talk. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. one That's one oh, of them rock. for sure. That's an amazing record. <laughs> that's Razor's Edge. But yeah, no, there's just something about it. I don't know. It's, and it's weird. I can't even explain it. But It's I, like a know. more lively sound, I think. I don't know. You just get a like a more like spaced out I, I can't describe it either i mean i'm just throwing things out I here know. but <laughs> i hear you man no i i hear you i i agree man it is like a like i don't know if you like drums it's a drum record if you like bass it's a bass record if you like guitar it's a guitar i mean it's like this just scorching yeah rep you know anyway it's so good <laughs> all right yeah. back to guitar did <laughs> yeah Hey, the drums sound great on this record. I love, uh, Johnny, when you go to those floor toms and it's just like clung, clung. 
They sound amazing. Yeah, thanks. That's that's one of those things we like to do. We always knew that if it was mixed right, that the floor tom could be loud, like you yeah. know, and and effective. And even if you listen to the record after, there's I, I love doing that with the floor tom, and I think yeah. Ryan likes it too. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd let you know if you were doing it too much, right? Yeah, yeah. No, we kept it just for like you know every now and then. It's cool that you noticed. Oh yeah, right on. So getting into um, the recording process, you guys were working at Motor. Now, were you hitting the road at the same time? Because if I'm looking at dates and stuff, it looks like this record kind of took a little longer to record. Yep. Were you guys yeah. hitting the road? We, we had, probably, we had a booking agent that had all these other bands. So like, we just kept getting offers that you just couldn't mm. refuse. We're going to, we did it. And we can't, it, like I was saying, we can't, I can't really remember exactly why it took so long, but I think mm -hmm. it's just that, that we were going on these five-week tours, three-week tours, mm -hmm. seven-week tours, and we'd be home for a little while, and there would be like a lot of catching up to do, and then some practicing, you know, then we went to the studio, then the fine girl thing. So, I don't know, it's weird, you know, it just seems like it would be all very hard to do now, but we did. Yeah. Because, yeah, we were touring, you know, I guess quite a bit right there. And then Sometimes, we, yeah. we went away for a week to do a record, you know, with, with Ryan, Prairie Sun, and then you guys must have done it for at least three weeks. Doing the record felt very detached. I'll tell you that. To me, the, the finished result always felt detached, to tell you the truth. I mean, hmm. I like the record, but I have the the memories of trying to like, or the vague memories. I have the vague recollection of trying to <laughs> cobble together a record over a long period of time. And, yeah. Uh, it, just, it just, it almost, in a weird way, it felt forced. Okay. You know what I mean? Or like you kind of lose that momentum. Yeah, you lose the momentum. And a lot of it was on me because I couldn't, you know, I wasn't spitting out lyrics like uh, like I wanted to be able to. And, and I, was, mm -hmm. I, was, I was always waiting for, or everyone was always waiting on lyrics. We talked mm -hmm. about that, right? And how the first verse is always very like intuitive to like your... Right, yeah, exactly. Right, how you're playing the rhythm or whatever. And then the second one is always like more logical, how you're, <laughs> you're listening to the song now that you have the second. <laughs> right, right. And so you're writing it and you're not writing it while you're playing. Right. Yeah, I got an idea harder. for a song. You get your first verse, first chorus, and then you go, yeah, sounds good. Okay, now, yeah. now what? what do we the do for the verse? second verse? <laughs> second verse is like the second album. I already said everything I needed to say. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now you got to come up with something The else. whole idea is right there. <laughs> yeah, I have had conversations with other songwriters about getting that second verse. You know, it's just like, because you, you have that idea, you know, that, that burst. And then you're like, oh, shit, I got to say more about this? <laughs> yeah. Dude, wasn't this your interview with Vinny? Didn't Vinny yeah, say something yes, like this? Exactly. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I remember that. Yes. I totally related. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because Vinny would be doing all that writing and all that frenetic stuff, and he would probably be working up some type of initial inspiration. Anyway, that's yeah. awesome. Phil, there is a wide variety of song topics on this album. You're talking about stardom to substance abuse. You've got a song about just writing on your Huffy. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your, your songwriting process. Well, honestly, I was too poor to ever own a Huffy. So, but my friend had one. <laughs> I and, thought those uh, were the yeah. cheap bikes. <laughs> hey, if, well, and then I was extra poor then. Um, <laughs> no, he just wasn't cool. I, was, I just wasn't cool. My grandfather <laughs> bought me a, my first bike, and it had a banana seat, and so that nice. came with. And the streamers off the handlebar. A bit of abuse <laughs> from the kids. <laughs> well, let me just—I'm going to add something in here. Then you got to go back to this. But we got a song. It's called "Private School." And that's pretty much going to explain everything, I think. You know. <laughs> it's a good song. Yeah, hop on your huffy and ride down suicide. Suicide was um well, there was this like building development that got paused, just mounds of dirt for like ten years or more. Oh no! Nice. And it was on this street called Haas, and so it's like, hey, let's all go meet at Haas, and you know, 
And there was just one section that only the kids with the biggest balls went down. That was suicide. And and if you didn't kick your bike out at the right minute, you were going to hit a rock, and then you oh, were going to no. basically be, get carted off. I never, <laughs> I never did that one. I, I never, you know, I bailed. I, I just couldn't. I was. <laughs> yeah. No way. But I, the song is good. Well, part parts of it are about some of the things my friend and I used to, you know, get into and. Um, I remember the first time he came over in a backyard and he had uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It. And he starts playing it and he starts trying to moonwalk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, you know, that, that's what kind of that stuff was about. That's remembering awesome. when you're a kid. Yeah. And I get Commodore, but what's Barrymore? Oh, Drew Barrymore, dude. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Duh. man. She, she was pretty, I don't know, pretty, I don't know. What cool back then when we were relevant in the 1999s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, no. This would have been. I was singing a song about the 80s. So. Oh, all right. So ET. Oh, she's like five. (laughs) Well, okay. All right. (laughs) Now let's not go that far back. But yeah, yeah. I just remember. um, Yeah. But um, yeah, the entertainer, like the first song on the record, that was because um, it was crazy in the Bay at that time. There were so many bands that were just getting huge. You know, Green Day being obviously the biggest example of that. The right. song is not necessarily about any one particular band, but it was interesting to watch some bands get so big that they almost kind of seemed like, oh, wow, they're kind of unapproachable now. Modern gods. But yeah, no, it was just an observation. It wasn't really about any any band in particular yeah just watching that scene blow up yeah no it was nuts that was such a crazy time and yeah. this was like this was like in the middle of it kind of in the bay yeah no totally i mean it, it was... yeah between green day and metallica and, and rancid rancid yeah no effects oh yep um jawbreaker i'm not sure where jawbreaker is from i can't remember i don't know that's, that's I mean, they're, from San that. Fr- they're from san francisco i mean they're from they're from the bay area oh okay well, i didn't yeah. know that yeah I mean, they got a song on. So I remember where I was the day they broke up. Oh yeah, no, they're from San Francisco. Okay, for sure. One of my absolute favorite songs on this album is "Lost and Found." I think that song is just great. I mean, you were talking earlier about, you know, why some bands get big and why some bands don't. I don't know why Lost and Found didn't push you guys into at least, you know, some other bracket of, of fame. That's a great song. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'm like, how's that song start again? <laughs> well, it starts off, it starts off, but so that's, what, that's, that's what's funny is that it starts off with, with kind of an epic thing that we came up with. Uh, yeah yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. thanks jed there you go (laughs) that's yeah that's exactly what i was looking for just that that first note yeah yeah so we were so i guess that would kind of be carrying over from playing live and kind of seeing what worked and even bringing some of that stuff into the studio so yeah so we were trying to do like a little like an epic kind of an intro there and i think we kind of made that up more or less in the studio probably Mm -hmm. i don't remember i just remember there's a few lyrics in that song that i remember going like man i don't know if that i don't know if that translates the way i wanted it to translate <laughs> you know 
<laughs> yeah. but, but now that you say that's your favorite song, I'm like, well, I don't want to say what lyrics they are now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we didn't we didn't know at all that that would be, because we, we kind of thought about that song as like a secondary kind of, a, you know what I mean? Personally, that I, I think it's a good song, but we never thought anyone else really thought it was. Well, it's in position number four, so. Well, you wedged it between Passed Out, which is an incredible song, and then Fine Girl, which is, you know, you had a whole EP for it, so yeah, it's it gets right. it's one of the lost gems on this record that uh, I think I think people got to check out. Lost and Found, it's a great song. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I think we may have been kind of hiding it, or you know, or or buffering <laughs> it, like to some extent. Like, yeah, I don't know. We didn't know because you know, like the beginning is like we said, tr- trying to be epic. We didn't know if we got it, and I think, <laughs> like I said, we we made that in the studio that that beginning. Yeah. So because I think it might have started with uh, y- you know just where. Um, uh, the next part, the second part comes in, and I'm copy. And so another thing is, there's just like on that one, I'm pretty sure I really, really liked No Use. Yeah, and I, and I was paying homage to some drum work that I had kind of checked out for my friend Rory doing. You know, Tipping the cap to Rory. Hell yeah, yeah, some some snare stuff, and I can hear so that. you know, yeah, just always trying to get like if you have like a toolbox or whatever. I guess those tools would be like little things that I would put here and there, and that's what I see. But anyway, I'm sure you don't want to talk about the drums and uh, Lost and Found. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you want to talk about the um, you know, other stuff. Well, I want to talk about Passed Out for a second. So I heard a rumor that the song used to start differently. It used to start with just the, the, clear, the clean guitar. Who would start such a vicious rumor as that, Jed? <laughs> um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. It's another little uh, ska-flavored one, isn't it? No, I think we did that. <laughs> we did that in the studio where it was just me and Serge doing our little thing. We oh, popped okay. right in. We popped right in, and then we matched because you could really hear the kick drum there. So we got that, and that's how we started it at that point. But I yeah, like before, Serge's bass no, on that song. But before yeah. that, you did you did used to start that with guitar, so that would be like you Not know really. a standard way of starting every every song though. <laughs> Until we get probably came up with something in, in, in most <laughs> cases. You can really hear that kick drum and Ryan liked to work with kick drum a lot, you know, and, yeah. and he really put that out front. He heard that and, it, you know, and then, you know, Serge was right there playing that thing all the time, you know, like that. And we, you know, we practiced it like that a little bit, but I think we just messed around with it. And then when we got the studio, we had to kind of settle with what we wanted. That's what we did. All right, so I gotta ask, what does "di" stand for in the last song? You know, that's a good question. Do you remember? I, that? I thought it stood for divine intervention. Ah, all right. Because I'm like scanning the lyrics, like, what? What's "di"? Is it "d"? Is it "di"? <laughs> I have no idea. You know, and that, I mean, you can you can interpret that too if you wanted to from the from the lyrics. So a lot of our songs would kind of like acquire a working name. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I heard you mention this. Yeah, I heard you mention this before. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them stuck. Some of them just stayed. And it didn't matter what the, if the song subject matter was different. It's just that that's just the name of the song now. That's how we remember it. That's all that yeah. matters because when you look down <laughs> on your set list, 
Right. That's all that matters. Just to what are we playing? Trigger the right right memory. How does it start? I don't remember. We just called it DI, and there was some reason why we did it. And then I thought maybe I think maybe what I'm picking up on, Phil, is that you later I think we're trying to come up with something that that maybe it could mean, but it was actually what you're saying. It was just what we called it, like DI for for whatever reason, right? I don't know. I don't remember. All I remember is uh, that's one of my favorite songs on the record, actually. And I think it's yeah. my favorite Doug guitar solo ever. It's so good. Yeah. I, was, I like how it just uh, the record ends very abruptly with the word yeah. stop. It's got to stop. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> cool. I feel like this song is a good segue into your next album. So we'll talk about the next album if you guys are willing to come back sometime. But I feel like it's a good segue because that album was a bit more experimental. And this song, D.I., doesn't sound like anything else on this record. Right. Well, we were getting darker. We were starting to get darker and kind of like, uh, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, kind of shedding the amateurish kind of goofy goofiness. Yeah. Although it's, that's kind of hard to do with a band called Limp. <laughs> um, you know, we were kind of getting evolving and getting a little yeah. darker and yeah you're right uh, the last record did get a little darker and everybody like you know doug came and he brought like a lot of influences and we all had like a lot of free time uh, while on tour and traveling together that we could show each other what we were kind of into and at that time that was what that was what it was about you know and you know that was one way we kind of bonded and then like i said though it was kind of compartmentalized like we couldn't do it in the van like there wasn't even room to really sit and play the guitar which like a lot of people custom build their stuff and you know we could have done it but anyway so that you can kind of practice you know and, and mm -hmm. play it at least something maybe record into a four track or something so anyway we would have these ideas and then we'd go to practice or sometimes sound check and I, I remember messing around with di and di was just like a rocking <laughs> you know kind of riff for lack of a better way to put it, mm -hmm. that we started. Yeah. And then we kind of built that intro thing up in the studio, which was like a fade in. So we kind of did like a little ride and then they kind of did like a thing on the guitars and basses and then and we faded it up into that snare crack and then, you know, into the into that kind of rockin' song. Yeah, we we, yeah. we didn't we didn't we just we just made it, you know, it just it just kinda of made itself in, in some ways. I know that's kinda of stupid to say, but also, I like, uh, we had a lot of, you know, songs that are really pretty or songs about girls or stuff like that. And so you got to throw in some mean stuff, especially on um, a lot of the tours we were doing. We were actually really fortunate. No one, I don't, I don't really recall booze or heckles, but, but we could have got it because we played with a lot of, all the bands we played with were, were harder than us, you know? And so we were kind of like the, the coffee grounds in between uh, one hardcore, <laughs> hardcore band and the next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes, you know, I think we, we would end our sets with this song. Hey, just, just as a reminder, hey, you know, <laughs> it's like, don't go away thinking we're a bunch of, you know. Yeah. I don't know. And, and so also, we had to throw in some big, some hard songs. Yeah. And how, to play. also how kind of cool it would have been to have had more time to even, you know, flesh these out, right? Because we, we did have to rush them to a certain extent. At this point, yeah. Yeah. At the you know at the time of recording, we were like you know we were. That's why that's why I said it felt feels forced to me. But I I mean that's only because I know that because I felt like I was forcing things. I was yeah yeah forcing words in at the last minute to fit and right. And I hate doing that because you know once it's recorded, there it is right. forever it's forever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. oh I wish I had worked on that part. Yep. So that's why I was saying it kind of felt a little. Boring. One of the things I didn't like, which is my really one of my only critiques i guess was 
I have a copy of, of the album right as it came out of Motor, when it was finished being mixed, mm-hmm. and it's really, really dynamic, right? It's really, there's some highs and there's some lows, and as far as, like, you know, just, like, volumes. And and then when, when we got the record back after it was mastered, it was a bit flat, like, mm. so... The compressor. I talked to Mike, and I said, hey, this is... Yeah. You know, this isn't. Yeah, exactly. This isn't as lively as, as it was on the original. You know, so yeah. he he let, let us remaster it again, and I guess it came back better. I don't know. All I know is that Taglet That yeah. one there is is he needed dynamics in the song, and it sounds flat on the record, and that always bummed me out because live, uh, it sounds it starts out very 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 soft, and then the whole band comes in, and it's like a wall of sound hits you. But on the record, it sounds like that you know a wall didn't just hit you. You know the radio just got turned up a bit or something. I don't know. Uh, it lacks that punch. Yeah, yeah. it lacks that huh. punch. So the song was really meant to have a lot more dynamics than the the final mastering kind of kind yeah. of put out there, huh. and it, you know. And we didn't have enough clout to go, Mike, will you sing it back a third time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, a third time. And, you know, because I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of how it was supposed to start sounding at that time was very compressed. I, I think some people probably do each song individually and, and our record probably just got done generally. He didn't know that Bag Lunch was supposed to be like that and we weren't there. He was at lunch doing this was that song. At, these are, this, yeah. was in, this was in Los Angeles and we lived in, you know, we lived in the Bay Area and this was like, this would go down to LA and this was supposed to be the guy. And, and then mm. after the second mastering, Mike tells me, well, you know, people usually, because I said, dude, it didn't come out the way. He's all, well, you know, people usually, someone from the end usually goes down when it's mastered. I'm like, I know it told me this. Yeah. Oh, you know? no. And you know what's funny? <laughs> Even if he had told me that, we didn't, no one had money for a plane ticket to get down to LA. And oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who's going it just down was there? what it was. You, you pick your battles, but you know, whatever over actually overall, Johnny and I listened to the record yesterday, pretty loud on a pretty fancy system. And it sounded good. <laughs> just, yeah. Sounds good. You to turn me. it up. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah. so, uh... Right. And you know, remember the Kevin army stuff too, you know, those are the same recordings. Yeah, and then yeah. with the slightly different, what, the fine girl stuff. Yeah. The fine girl EP stuff. I like that stuff too, the way that sounds. So it's kind of neat that we have two versions of a couple of the songs. Yeah, that is cool. You can A, B, yeah. yeah. I think my favorite songs to play on this record live were uh, probably Bike Ride, Bag Lunch, and I think 10 Minutes. I found a picture of the two of us And seeming like it wasn't we could go I thought of everything it should have been And nothing was as far as I would go I think tomorrow probably. I think Serge told me that's his favorite song on the record is tomorrow. And there's a little tidbit for that one, actually. When we were recording uh, that song, uh, recording Doug's guitar part, his amp was picking up this radio signal at the end of that song. You know how it kind of goes into this, like, and I guess the question of the hour is what can. Yeah, yeah. That was completely. It was just on the recording. I mean, we didn't. That was not planned. That was not placed. (laughs) Just happened. We just heard that take. It was. It was a good guitar take. And at the end, it had this weird thing. We let it kind of keep going, and then we just faded out. We're all like, "Well, just leave it."
it was not done on purpose at all. And the weird thing about it, it sounded like, you know, I don't know. Now, when I look back on it, it sounds like we were being like pro kids and now nah, we weren't. <laughs> it just sound- And a lot of the bands at that time were putting samples into their songs. So that was one you just kind of kind of snatched literally out of that's thin out of air. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. But actually, we were pro kids. What am I saying? We, we, we would never play. I think, I think you can count on one hand how many shows we played that were 21 and over. I think they almost every show we played was all ages, and that was kind of a thing of ours. Our music is for everybody, not just the people who are old enough to drink. Yeah, that's great. And also, that's kind of coming out of Gilman too. Kind of the principle, one of the principles mm-hmm. out of Gilman. Yeah, I never understood that. Like, you know, you got this youth movement music, and you're making it 21 plus. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and then you know, of course, uh, yeah. uh, you know, lots of times you, the guarantee well, was like what a hundred bucks or something at the shit for us and so you'd have to sell merch and it definitely mm-hmm. helps playing to all ages you know because especially when they can't afford booze they, you know they'll, they'll buy right. t-shirts and cds exactly and <laughs> and of course 21 over crowds are like well i'd buy a cd but i need to get another beer <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll get one on the way out <laughs> those beers yeah, right. cost 12 dollars yeah no All right, so moving on to the artwork. Phil, you had started to tell us in the Pop and Disorderly episode that we did a while back. But for people maybe who didn't hear that episode, give us the quick on this thing. So Mark DeSalvo, the great Mark DeSalvo, <laughs> faxed you this artwork. So so take us from there. Yeah, he faxed us this artwork. We were on tour with No Use in Canada. He get, got a hold of me somehow and said, uh, when you get a chance, go to your hotel lobby and th- there's a fax for you. So... <laughs> I go there and they hand me this thing and I'm like, oh man. And instantly it was, uh, well, it was hilarious actually. And then, um, yeah. so I bring it back to the venue and, um, I'm showing everybody and, and everyone loved it. And I'm, and I'm showing, showing Tony and he, the first words out of his mouth were, you should call it guitarded. And, <laughs> and, and I, you know, it's funny. And at the same time you're going like, Ooh, I don't know. You know, should we really? You know, do we really need Can to make this? That? Yeah. That's yeah. Tony Sly. From yeah. No use for a name. This could be offensive, yeah. maybe. I don't know. But it was so funny that we're like, you know, fuck it. Hell yeah. We just we just stuck with it. But but here's the funny thing. DeSalvo told me, and I don't know if he's told you or told another. He said that uh, he showed it to Mike first, and yeah. that Mike was like, "Hey, have you showed this Olympia?" yet? <laughs> he was gonna. He's all we want it. We were gonna. He, no he's offense, gonna he's take gonna it. steal it from us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yep. And uh, and he's oh, all, yeah, I did. He's like, oh. <laughs> Damn. So I guess that's yeah. funny. And you know, also you have to throw in the the last part of Mark's signature stroke is that the yeah. images are phallic. Well, he tried to do that. You know. Well, look at it. Well, I know. I know. That's a secret, though. Oh, is it? Yeah, cut well, it isn't anymore, <laughs> I guess. Way, but uh, but way. yeah, because like that's one thing we weren't doing, and he would secretly try to put that in yeah, all of like, our artwork. Like, like we were like, no, we don't want it. We, like, you know, the names live. We're not. Gonna yeah, do, exactly. We're trying we're not to not do no the, references to wieners. Yeah, you know? no low hanging fruit, bro. So and, <laughs> no low. So in every in every image he ever did though for us, he always put. Uh, yeah, he would make something like reference. that. So if you look at all of them, there's a there's a phallic reference in the in the wheelchair guitar logo. That's funny. 
I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Well, my favorite Mark DeSalvo story is, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that you guys needed the art for the Fine Girl EP, and he just sent you over all this stuff, like, I'm barely legal, yeah. uh, the suck on my, <laughs> <laughs> like, all this, like, cocksucker stuff, and you guys, like, had no choice but to use it. We were it. like, oh, my God, what the hell? Ball blasting Dude, live action. These are so funny. With, when, with Johnny are here, I'm like, Dude, look at this. It's, it's, I mean, you know, Mark's. I was showing him like, oh my god, I forgot about this. Mark's a genius. This is this is this is like nothing, you know what I mean, compared to how what he did on the Survival of the Fattest, right? Like, I mean, this is this right. is just like, uh, yeah. And so, of course, we would always see his work, and yeah, you know, we would take anything, you know, that that Mark did. He he had the the artistic vision for a lot of stuff. But, he had the gift. Yeah, but this was this yeah. was somewhat slapped together. Mm-hmm. At the time, I don't know. We came up with the idea for the symbols instead of saying like, you know, oh, someone's on bass or someone's a guitar. We you draw the, you know, have a symbol for it, yeah. like an icon for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I know that that was a few other people or bands and stuff. They actually took that idea, which is cool. And I will say that yeah. like uh, he painted obviously pictures of all of us, and so we we gave him pictures, or he just went and got them, and then he painted them of us. And he didn't ask for my photo. Uh, at first, because he had <laughs> hung out like all the time. I mean, he never partners in crime yeah. for a while, so he didn't ask for my photo. He painted a picture. Uh, he did all of ours, and we all saw him. And I'm like, oh, dude, and because he had one, uh, and it was a, with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth, right? And <laughs> and I'm all, oh man, I don't know, man, I don't know if this is a good image for the kids or whatnot. And I and I made right? <laughs> him paint another one, which I don't think he was stoked on. So he made me kind of look a little girly boy in this one. But at some point, I'll get the salvo to send you the original picture of me, how vain I am. I'll get him to send you a picture of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's the one that he originally had for for my picture in there. Yeah, I'd love to see that, man. Yeah, I love this picture of you. You've got like the sad eyes and your, <laughs> yeah, you know, your mouth is turned down. It's in like... hindsight, I probably should have went with <laughs> the salvo's first choice. I think the other one was good. Every, we, we all liked it. I looked like a Marlboro man in the other one or something. The Marlboro <laughs> boy. The Marlboro boy. <laughs> the Marlboro boy. Yeah. That's hilarious. And then on the inside of the uh, of the artwork, you know that you see that, the Bic lighter, right? Yeah. And of course, that was a theme. He, he came up with the Bic, like he had a Bic character on one of our shirts, like that holding a drumstick behind its mm-hmm. back. Remember that? Yeah. And then the Bic pen, the big guy. pen yeah. guy. And then also his buddy, Grant that a, Irish. That was a phallic. Right? Made, <laughs> made a, he made this like, you know, really big, like three three and a half foot tall, something like that. Um, Dick lighter. That was functional. And we, we took wow. it on tour. Yeah. We had pyrotechnic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're serious. <laughs> so the, some, you know, the, flame. the flame would go up pretty well, but you know, we were lucky because we got to use that. And yep. then not too long afterwards, right, right before a great white, great white, had everything that fire. Up for everybody. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we in had the, in Rhode Island, that yeah, club. It was within reason. We were doing shit within reason, but I still don't think we should have been doing it. All I remember is this. There was a couple <laughs> venues where we, we were, you know, playing on stage and now it was time to jump around and I'm jumping and I turn around and I see this lit dick <laughs> kind of starting to wobble and i'm like oh man that's yeah. not a good idea yeah it was not a good idea no matter <laughs> I mean, you know that's coming down and so man i could have told that to great white i just you know i didn't see him in time so anyway yeah that's where the big thing came from i never really got the big thing because it also came from people used to light lighters at the concerts you know back in the day i thought that had something to oh do yeah pre cell phone yeah pre cell phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, you know, the old days. We were doing some things of we had an intro from 
the bon you know boston we did the boston song more than a feeling everything yes. all the artwork back then was almost a parody of everything else it was that was back in the day everything was a parody oh um, yeah yeah it was, mm -hmm. a parody, you know for sure. for sure it was always a rip on something else or something so no. i don't know if that was in his arsenal already or if he just did it just to try to come up with something that was clever for us or whatnot i don't remember that exactly but mm. and yeah but then grant made grant irish made the yeah real lighter. he made the real lighter yeah that thing was cool so uh, apparently that's in a salon in san francisco now it's been in the front window for 15 years i don't know something like something oh, really? i think yeah i think the nice. solo told me i said hey you think we can buy that <laughs> he's like no it's someone already bought yeah, it. I, think we get that I, I think it would have been like a lot of money grant, if, yeah grant was like a fine yeah, grant is a, a fine artist yeah metal sculptor mm -hmm. and and so I think he sells this an all around cool dude. Like he let us borrow it. That was no problem. He was like, you guys could never afford that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It comes back to me. When you're done. Yeah. Uh, another art thing. I believe this is the first and maybe only time a picture of Ryan. Yep. Has been kissing ass. <laughs> Kiss, yeah, we were kissing ass. And so uh, there's that's there's, right on the back. Yeah, there's yeah. a picture of Ryan on here with a what a tape icon and a blender tape and a blender <laughs> we should have put we should have put the mastering guys picture he, he looks like he's a he's like a on the set of like star trek or something like yep you know he does he's just, yeah, totally a great like painting of a james kirk stand in there yeah it is a really an amazing painting. painting that is actually how he looks he, he, it marks very accurate on that one yeah and actually ryan was stoked on that actually he's like no the room's gonna do that <laughs> oh to get his picture yeah. in there <laughs> yeah for sure have you guys ever uh, gotten any shit for this album cover? Like anyone like, hey, you guys. Like, you know what's funny? <laughs> the opposite. We've gotten the opposite. Yeah. And I was just talking to uh -huh. Johnny about that. Uh, I was saying like, you know what, dude? I never remember anyone getting upset with us over that. And in fact, I said I can remember probably around at least 10 times or so, there would be people or kids or whatnot in wheelchairs that were so mm -hmm. stoked. You know, they were so stoked. And, and like we'd give them you know, some whatever afterwards. And they, they came up, they liked our band on our, on on their own. It wasn't like, you know, and they came to the show and like, they would tell us like straight up, like, it's so great and blah, 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 you know. And and it's not like we were trying to represent anyone group. We were just, you know, trying trying right. to make things that were funny and laugh, but um, not at yeah. anyone's expense. And I was stoked that no one ever took it like that. You know, they took it as intended, yeah. which is something I think uh, a lesson for the modern world, actually. <laughs> Don't get too crazy about things, you know, just it's no big deal. Yeah, it, it was. Don't make yeah, it a big deal. It was absolutely, it was right. absolutely not meant to be offensive. Well, the, the artwork, in my opinion, isn't at all. It's the marriage of the word "departed" yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to I, that I artwork. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the part. You know, and, uh, and, <laughs> well, yeah, that, okay. that was a bit risky. <laughs> and then you know, consequently, Doug's mom was in a wheelchair. That's right, huh? And oh. she was. She she has. Did she approve it? She has. Yeah, she did approve uh, it. Multiple sclerosis, and uh, I believe Doug ran it by her. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I, I mean, not that that we thought that she would be mad, but we just, right? You know, I don't know. I guess it is. We thought it was very funny and not at all offensive. And just to be clear, you guys have the definition for guitarded behind the CD tray, which oh, I was cracking shit. up. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think yeah, that was like the fact checking of the day. Then there's and then there's <laughs> You know. Guitar so like you know the so you know funny. tony sny named the album once he saw the artwork mark you know i mean it's just stuff just happened and it worked man we didn't think of it all it, you know and it had no real forethought 
it just all worked. Mark yeah. was a fine artist. Mark is a fine artist. And the stuff he goes to, it's like, yeah, man, how cool that we get to use like that, you know, intelligent of a, of a, of an art mind with our band. Yeah. And then it's got a dumb name like limp. So it's like, you know, well, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I want to say about this artwork is, are you familiar with the blues guitarist, Leslie West? Yes, sir. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. So I came across this recently. Leslie West blues guitarist, Leslie West has an album called guitar. Yep. With a guy on the front in a wheelchair with a guitar. What is up with that? Okay. Yeah, Mark didn't want to sue him. From per- from Purple Mountain. Mark, no, from wow. uh, I think Big Mountain. No, no, no it was yeah. Purple Mountain or something. No, it's called Mountain. But the song's called anyway, Mississippi Queen. I digress. Mississippi Queen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that son of a bitch. He stole that artwork. No, he didn't steal it. Here's what happened. And I found out about this from fans. Fans were pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're like, oh, whoa, check this out. And we saw it, yeah. and uh, and I remember showing it to like Mark Tomo and going, "Hey, is this cool? I mean, you know, I we mean, made, this is straight we made make some money off our band. <laughs> exactly, this is straight rip." And he looked into it, and he's all, "Yeah, well, it turns out we can't do anything because um, your artwork is a parody of something, and you're allowed to parody a parody, or you're allowed to steal a parody. Uh, you can do word for word a parody." Because I guess that's what uh, we were told. But here's what I found yeah. out. I don't think I personally don't think Leslie West maybe even knew. I know he's dead now. Um, I found out not too long ago, whatever he passed away, but uh, I don't think he had anything to do with it. So when I went that way back when, when I started digging into this, I found the illustrator who did the his artwork for him, and I found his website, mm-hmm. and he had like twenty yeah. or thirty art, you know, projects and CDs, and he had everything in the layout, like the hash lines and all, like the whole layout, like to be sent to the press. Right? I saw the artwork he ripped our cd he completely ripped it he in fact like we don't even have the word limp written on our actual cd disc itself it's just the symbol he did the same thing yeah. he but all he did was wow. squiggle the lines a bit so it didn't look identical <laughs> but it was all no. done he literally just ripped the whole thing and then probably Jeez. handed it to him and leslie west was probably like ah oh, it's brilliant ah oh, it's so funny this was funny yeah <laughs> genius <laughs> it might be a little offensive i don't know but no yeah but, but then there's like that's even kind of that's strange. He shares your moral compass. That's, yeah, that's that's <laughs> funny too because it came out twice. Right. And nobody ever got offended in a in a viral. And he was the generation before us, so well, I guess he was right. Wow. You know. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. that age or something or parents age. He's like the Vietnam generation. Right. Right. Well, they don't get offended about anything. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. Thick skin, man. That's funny. <laughs> scandal, scandal in the world. Yeah. Of but it's anyway. It's and it's kind of flattering too, you know. Oh yeah, isn't that uh, what do they say? Uh, imitation is best uh, the best form of flattery yeah. or some shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> check it out, Leslie West. <laughs> yeah, it was Guitarian. it was it was just shocking. Like, I, really, I'm, willing somebody... to, I'm willing to put a little money on it that our record is a little better than his. That's just my guess, though. And I've never even listened to his record. 100. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> That's true. All right, guys. So after the record comes out, you hit the road. You're touring with. So many great bands. Lesson Jake, you mentioned the Bouncing Souls. I got to ask, did you really play a show with the Foo Fighters in 2000 at the Fillmore? Yes, the rumors are true. Yeah. Parking was a nightmare. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> and I had got these new drums and I was having a problem. I could, I didn't have the right something or other, right? And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Kick drum. No, it was just like it wouldn't go in the right place or something like that. And, 
And then that guy, Taylor Hawkins, comes by, the drummer, and and he's like, hey, what's going on, you know? Oh, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, great drums. Yeah, just got him, you know, just trying to get him into place. Okay, right on. We'll have a good show. We played well. I remember playing well, but I was super uncomfortable. I don't remember much else. So for me personally, I'd grown up, well, not grown up, but probably when I was like 18 years old, some of my favorite bands I saw at the Fillmore, right? And this is before mm-hmm. the the earthquake in, I think, 89 that, that basically shut the place down for a year while they refurbished. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of my favorite bands growing up I saw there. And so for me personally, to play the Fillmore was like, fucking hell, you know, this is awesome. Yeah, and uh, and I remember it. at the time, my girlfriend, she lived not, probably like five or six blocks away from the Fillmore. So I literally put help, you know, threw on my backpack with my gear in it and grabbed my guitar and I walked to the show. And I remember <laughs> like it was important to me. It felt it felt good to be able to walk to a show at the Fillmore and play. I was I don't know. It was kind of a neat thing for me personally. But yeah. but when I, we got there, we're sound checking. We started our sound check and all of a sudden. Chris Shiflett pops his head out and goes, what? Because <laughs> he didn't know we were playing. And he's all, no way, you guys are playing? And and we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so what had happened was we had like won some Live 105 Battle of the Bands kind of contest. Mm-hmm. And so the winner was going to open for the Foo Fighters, right? That's really what, what happened. <laughs> so so we're there and, you know, no one there knew we were going to be playing. Chris was super, uh, super excited that we were playing. Yeah, he knew you guys. And yeah, exactly. I mean, we'd already been on uh, two tours with him, you know. And mm-hmm. it was probably my best, personally, my best performance I'd ever, I'd ever done ever. At least I, th- I felt like I sang the best I'd ever sang. I, I mm-hmm. felt like I played guitar as be- as good as I could. And um, and what really, really stoked me out was that this crowd was for the Foo Fighters, you know. And yeah. as soon as we started playing, a bunch of kids in the audience were like, "Holy shit, that's limp!" And they just started rushing forward through the crowd and i was watching this while we're playing and they got the crowd into us they're like oh wow there's something we don't know about you know hey what's up with this band and that was super super cool i remember that that's awesome but here's the funny thing about uh the one of the tours one of the tours we did the last tour we did with no use it was supposed to be dance hall no use and limp right and you Mm -hmm. know about this tour and yeah about three weeks we had lost doug at this point and it was three weeks before this tour i get a phone call from from Chris. And he says, Hey man, I'll play, I'll play guitar. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh, well, uh, wouldn't your band be kind of pissed that, you know, you play with us and then you immediately have to play with your, and he's all, no, 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 they'll be fine. They'll be fine. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, well check it out. We want to see if we can find someone permanent. If we can't, Mm -hmm. I'll call you back in a week. Right. And within that week we heard all of a sudden no use was scrambling to find a guitar player because Shiflet goes to uh he goes to the Foo Fighters and um so that was a funny little thing that like you know yeah wow <laughs> yeah isn't that goofy how the way the Bouncing world works around, yeah you know but uh yeah I think you made a good uh career decision <laughs> yeah I think yeah. you landed in a good place <laughs> hey you know he's got a podcast too you know yeah walking the floor it's a great walking podcast. the floor yeah it's yeah. a really good one actually between that one and yours those are my two uh my two go-tos nice <laughs> for, the, for the music world yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was a lot of fun playing um, because I remember him like dragging Dave Grohl over and like he, he probably watched half our set. Oh, um, nice. But I, that was that was all probably because of Shefflet saying, "Hey, you gotta check these guys out." Yeah. <laughs> Did Chris come out on stage at all when you guys were playing? Or? 
No, no, no. Yeah. But I remember um, the first half of the set, I could, you know, I, I saw Dave off to the side and I'm just like, this is a little nerve wracking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's on. That's the guy. Um, yeah. But, uh, and then after us, it was um, Andrew WK. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> that was the support act. <laughs> yeah. Crazy show. Yep. And speaking of crazy shows, uh, this is totally off the subject. I'm just going to throw this in there. This is always an oddball one for me as well. At some point, on um, one of the tours we were on, we're cruising through Texas, and we pull up to a venue that we're supposed to play. And on the marquee, it says, uh, Gore, Godhead, and Limp. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, what? what? Like, what? You know, so, yeah, it turns out this venue had, like, you know, kind of two stages, a bigger one and a side one on the, you know, smaller. And we were playing the side one in the show prior. But mm. anyone who got in was able to, I guess, watch both bands. And, um... So it was a trip. I remember seeing Gore when I was younger, before I was ever in a band, and thinking like, "This is crazy." And um, they played at Gilman. Did they really? They played at Gilman. Really? How is it even possible? Gilman let so them. So they're in? the ones who 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 couple times trashed that place, and it wow. stayed that way forever. Anyway, uh, I do remember there was these two dudes at that show. They both had CDs in their hands, limp CDs and T-shirts, and they sat, they stood there, and and basically sang along the whole show. Afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm putting away my gear and. And uh, and we start chatting it up, and then they're like, "Oh well, we got to go get ready now." And I'm like, "Get ready for what?" They're all, "Oh, you know, we got to get on our costumes and play." And I'm like, "What?" They're all, oh my god, two dudes in, two the dudes in gore. It was, it was, yeah. I can't remember his name right now, but he was in. He was on a. He was in the Hagfish. He was in Hagfish. That's right. And then he's now he's in. Rise against. Oh, he's in Rise against now. His name's I think Zach. I can't remember, but he is. You know, he was, yeah, so, so, was so they were there. We yeah. watched War set up their whole thing because mm-hmm. it was we played that the, the show we played was an afternoon show. It was like a uh, a matinee thing, mm-hmm. and then War was setting up their whole circus performance in the uh, <laughs> in the main room. And no, we 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 got to watch them do everything from behind this, you know, yeah, from behind nuts. the scenes. That's cool. And um and so they they did their whole thing. They had these big giant costumes on and they're sound checking and playing i mean we watched a minute compressors like, and tubes everywhere like huh? hoses and yeah. tubes and big vats of liquid and 30 people like yeah. a lot of people wow a lot of people working and um yeah wow. like they're... and yeah it was epic yeah so i guess they're the dude from Hagfish who got into gore brought you know the cds with him and i guess got some other dude it, that was really bizarre and that's you know, amazing well, I mean, that was kind of surreal for me actually yeah definitely hagfish is one of the underrated awesome yeah they were good pop punk I yeah mean, you know quote unquote, unquote pop punk bands i i love that uh, and the great early you know, honest dance groups yeah I, well i think they did an album before that yeah i mean that's the that's the one i like is the um you know the the early one there's a, another thing i wanted to mention it almost as like a follow-up from the the last interview there was a couple things i remember we talked about billy for a bit and water dog yeah and uh and i and i was like kicking myself for not mentioning that uh, I mentioned Billy and I mentioned Scott, right? The guitar yeah. player in, in dance hall. Well, they actually had a band together called The Affection and mm-hmm. they were amazing. You know, they, they put out one record and it's something definitely worthwhile to check out. Yeah, I gotta um, find that. You could probably probably find it on Bandcamp. I think that's the last, that's the last place I listened to it. Um, it's on Bandcamp or something. But How do you spell it? The Affection, E-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-N. Oh, nice. Um, and, oh, and by the way, we have talked to Billy recently, and and he, he's he's cool. He's like, yeah, send me some stuff. <laughs> All right. So 
you know, of course he's on the other side of the country. So, yeah. so that's fun. You know, <laughs> it's fun for us at least going like, no way, it's awesome. You can remote him in. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But um, amazing. This has been a ton of fun, you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for an hour and a half. This is great. Thank you, Jed. Yeah. Phil, I was telling you the other night when we were talking that I got myself on the limp street team or the limp army. <laughs> and you guys sent me like a stack, like a solid stack of stickers. And I must have stuck those everywhere. At one point, Western Massachusetts was totally wallpapered with guitarded stickers. So that's so awesome. I <laughs> wanted to share that with you. That, that that was that's our favorite part of doing things like this you know when you can write music and then you go to the other side of a, your you know this big country yeah and then there you know i mean that's like the reason to do it to tell you the truth it's very cool thank you so much for yeah that. well thank you guys you know? that that's pretty awesome very uh, cool. yeah i mean and you didn't tell me this last time so you you're being a little you know, oh, a right. about that i withheld uh so that was cool man nice. thank you yeah, well, thank you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me today and taking us through Guitar. This was a lot of fun. I love the stories. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks, thank you, for... Johnny. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks you for it, asking. Man. All right, Jed. Take care, man. Awesome. Later, thanks, Jed. Thanks for hanging out. All right. Later, man. Talk right. to you soon. Take care. Well, all right. I'd like to thank Phil and Johnny for hanging out with me today. This was a ton of fun. Be sure to check out Talking Records episode 69, where Phil and I discussed the band's debut, Pop and Disorderly. Check out Limp's Bandcamp page or wherever you stream, download, or buy music. I'd like to thank Craig, my man behind the scenes. I'd like to thank Krista Makes from Less Than Jake for the theme music. Of course, I'd like to send a huge thank you to all of you. Thank you so much for tuning into Talking Records. It's so much fun to dive into these fantastic records, chat about the songs, try to gather up all the information we possibly can into this one podcast. Check us out on the socials, say hello, suggest albums, tell us your stories. All right, everybody, take care. (laughs) 